0: This is the Podcast Method, episode number seven. I'm Dan Benjamin, and today is Friday, February thirteenth, twenty fifteen. It's Friday the thirteenth. Well, I hope the luckiness of uh, Lucky Seven, episode seven, will offset some of the unluckiness of uh, of Friday the thirteenth today. You hear how I sound, a little sick? Well, I was lucky enough to get the flu that completely uh, laid me low for a week or so and uh, made it impossible. For me, I I got sick on uh, Super Bowl Sunday and uh, had a fever, 102 degree fever, and uh, sounded just terrible. Sounded just terrible. And that's the thing. Chris Enns uh, asked me this on Twitter. He said, what do you do when you're sick? You don't sound good. Let's say you're physically able to record, but you're congested, kind of like I am now, or your voice doesn't sound good, or you're not 100%. You know, what do you do? Well, in my case, I just I just don't do the shows. I really don't like that, uh, but I, I just have to take a break. Your body needs the rest, of course, but if you don't sound good, uh, it, I just don't believe you should uh, torture your listeners when you don't sound good. And when you're coughing the whole time, uh, it's just it's painful. It's painful to listen to. And, uh, and I almost feel like it's better to just not do a, a show at all as painful as that can be for you. I think your fans, your listeners, the people who enjoy the shows, they understand their sponsors certainly don't understand and then what do you do do you do you cancel that sponsorship and give them a refund if they've paid uh will they stick around as a sponsor or do you push it out do you push the whole schedule out what if you've got lots of shows that have been booked really tough problems and unfortunately there's no easy answer whenever i get sick and i think man i'm just like a like a like a podcaster guy in austin what about when big time you know news what about when letterman uh gets sick what does he do you know uh, the show must go on in many cases if you're doing, I suppose, a network uh, television show or something big like that. And and we do in a way have the luxury of, uh, of not having to absolutely do a show no matter what. But I'll tell you what, uh, you, you skip enough and, uh, you, you will, you will lose some of that trust. It's so hard to build with your listeners, with your audience. It, it is a huge challenge, um, I did manage to record uh, back to work with Merlin uh, when my voice started to turn around this week on Tuesday. Uh, before that, over the weekend, I actually had a day where my voice sounded really good and uh, brought my son into work. And uh, he, uh, over the weekend, and he's seven years old, and we've recorded a couple times before. And so we recorded a special together. Uh, so if you're into that kind of thing, uh, you can you can check out the show notes and you can uh, get a link to that episode. But it's at 5by5.tv slash podcast method slash 7. That's where you go to find these show notes. But, you know, recording with him, a little rambunctious 7-year-old uh, kid, it makes me think a lot about uh, the challenges of recording with people who maybe don't have the best mic technique in the world, uh, people who don't understand voice control, who... Uh, you know, who maybe when you're interviewing them kind of change topics. How do you keep an interview uh, on topic? I'll tell you what, if you're lucky enough to be a parent, uh, interview your kids, even if you never air it. It's a wonderful way to deal with what can be a very challenging interviewee uh, it's just a, a great sort of way to practice your your own interview skills. And I do get a lot of questions from folks uh, who are interested in becoming better interviewers. There are these sort of official interview techniques. There are these special interview tactics, uh, if you will, or um, or processes that that people go through that are sort of formal, like, oh, this is an interview style. I've done my best to not have an interview style when I talk to guests. What I mean by that is... I try to just have a conversation with people. That's something that I think if, you, if you're if you a good conversationalist, you, you will be a good interviewer, I believe. Uh, you need to understand when to let the person you're talking to just talk and how to simply, your role as interviewer is to guide the interviewee, uh, help keep things on track, but get out of the way. As much as possible it's a it's a big challenge it's something I always enjoy. I really enjoy that challenge of talking to somebody not knowing what they're going to say uh, and And for me, again, I, I seem to like this whole going into it unprepared thing. Uh, prepare by mastering your craft, but be unprepared in a spontaneous way. So that when you are having that conversation with somebody, when you're doing that interview with somebody, be prepared and knowing that person's background, their history, their accomplishments, their achievements, but be unprepared because if you're unprepared, it will never sound scripted. It will never sound uh, like you're forcing an agenda on the person uh, or people that you're talking to. And it will be very natural. So you know, it's like if you don't know what the you, – you know that the test that you're about to take in school is going to be on World War Two, right? But you don't know what angle it's going to be on. You don't know what the essay question is going to be. You you didn't, you know, so just master everything you can. Study World War II as much as you can so that whatever it is when you go in there, you're going to have that overview. You're going to know the details. You're going to be able to dive in and talk about anything relating to that test question. That's the, the sign of, I think, of a good interviewer. You're going to go in there knowing that topic, knowing that person, that subject. And, uh, and then you can talk about anything without really an agenda. Sure, write down a few interview questions. I think that's super valuable but don't don't stick to a script don't feel like you you've got to stick to some agenda because that leads to just such a boring uh boring interview i've been getting so many great questions from you guys on twitter I'm at Dan Benjamin on Twitter. Ask me your questions there and hashtag podcast method so that I can see them. But the, these great questions you've been asking, so many people want me to kind of get into the, the nitty-gritty of what are we doing in post and where are we putting the noise gates and the compressors and what about stripping silence out of, the, uh, out of the, the audio and how do we deal with that and is it pre or post? And as I've been getting these questions, I've been thinking uh, of, about how to answer them. But I realize that there's sort of a fundamental view Uh, There are, I'm sure there's more, but I see there as being kind of at least two fundamental views of what a podcast is. And I think your view on what a podcast is, is going to determine if and how much and what kind of editing you do uh, in post. So if we take a step back and we look at a podcast, what is a podcast to you? I think it's at least one of these two categories. Uh, there are probably more categories, but I've I've figured these two. The first one is, a podcast is a creation. It is a thing that you are making that is um, perhaps shares many things in common to a movie or um or a a an audio recording. The way that a recording artists would go in to record something, or the way a voiceover person would go to record something, or the way that if you were writing a book, that you would write a book. In other words, it is a creation that is a thing that you you get the source material, in this case it's people speaking into microphones, and then you do everything that you need to do to edit that. In other words, if book analogy stands out for me, you write your outline and then you do your rough draft and then you start editing it and you get a final draft and you have peer reviews and you get this thing edited and oh you know what this section goes here and this chapter should be up here and i need to write a supplementary chapter because i didn't really answer that question and you you're creating this thing and it's going to be great because you're putting all of this time and effort and energy into making it great and you might have source material and you say you know what that source material didn't work. I'm going to get rid of that. And you know, like I said, I'll put this thing here and this. And then we'll record a beautiful intro and a really awesome outro. And we'll strip out anything that doesn't make sense. If oh, there was too much of a pause here, we'll edit that out. And there was not enough of a pause over here, we'll put that in. This this person says um and aha a bunch. We'll we'll just clear that out. And these people talked over each other. Well, we'll make it so that. They magically didn't talk over each other. And we'll do all of this in post, in editing, in our application. That's philosophy number one. Philosophy number two is we're making something more, not like a movie or a book, but more like a stage play. What happens on stage, good or bad, forgotten lines or not, ad lib or not, improvise or not, That's what's happening, and is it is a shared live experience. So the people up on stage, they're working together to make this thing called a play, which is the director's interpretation of a screenplay and the actor's interpretation of that direction, and their best job at memorizing the lines or coming up with their own and uh, and creating this thing that you as the audience are participating in. And without you as the audience in this live thing that happened... Uh, there is no play. The play is you as the audience and the performers and the director and the screenwriter and the lighting and the people moving the scenery around on stage and making the costumes and all of these things that happen to make this live magical moment. And if, uh, if there happened to be someone recording that, then, th- then you'd have this recorded version of this live thing, like a, a live concert in a way too performers up on stage playing, doing stuff, and you know what? Maybe the person singing uh, changes the lyrics a little bit. Jim Morrison did. Maybe the guitarist decides to play a different soul and they played the night before and they do that every night. Slash does that. So, you know, you have a very different thing. Now, would you then go back and edit that thing the same way that you would edit the first one? I, I feel like the answer is no. I feel like these are a di- different kinds of things. So when you're making your podcast... I think most people that I know fall into the first uh, category, the first view, that is, they're they're going to make a podcast, and a podcast involves capturing source material and then working that source material to create the uh, the end result. The ultimate example of this, I think, uh, is uh, is Radiolab, Jad Abumrad making what is a, an incredibly edited. Uh, polished and perfected piece of art. That's, that's what he's making in every single one of those episodes. It's, it's outstanding and amazing what he is able to do uh, in Pro Tools with uh, so much content. And uh, that's an, a huge example of that. I think that's what most people are kind of going for. So for a while, it was kind of puzzling me because I would see people, uh, my friends and fellow podcasters who were saying, oh, look, you know, this is, I strip silence from it. And then I edit this and I move this and I do that. And, and I thought, oh my gosh, that's a ton of work. Why are you spending so much time? And it figured it out because they are viewing this as this, crea- it is a creation. They want to make it the best that it could possibly be. Well, don't I feel that way too? And I thought about a lot of the interview shows that I've done in the past and how much I would edit those. And I thought, yeah, I've definitely done that. But more nowadays, I find that I'm in the second category. I'll call the second category, how about this? Let's just call it radio. Because if you think about most of the shows that I'm involved with personally, me personally, these are shows that are essentially me and one or more other people. We hit record. And, uh, and we make something and we stream it live. And when that thing is done, that, that's the thing we made. It's done. We did it. The play is over. The rock concert's over. The podcast is over. Now, remember that point at about 28 minutes in where uh, Skype got really, really bad and you couldn't understand what the person said and it's just terrible to listen to? Let's take that part out. But we won't re-record that part. We won't. Uh, we won't do anything to to you know. We'll do our best to find an edit point, but that's it. We're not going to take the really good part of the interview that happened and uh, and move that to the front or anything like that. It's this is what happened. This was this hopefully fingers crossed magical moment that we had for forty five minutes or an hour where we were doing our interview uh, or our show or whatever. But see that's how it is on radio, and see that's how, what I grew up in. I I grew up listening to radio. I've told this story many times, but uh, it, just to kind of frame this, uh, I was uh, the kid in, uh, in junior high, and high school, and I would bring a little pocket radio, and I would have it in my jean jacket pocket, and I would have the earphone. We didn't have uh, headf- little headphones back then. We just had like a e- single earphone. And that thing go up on the inside of my jacket, up into the collar, into my ear, and I would kind of angle my head, So it wasn't totally obvious. Thinking back, it was probably pretty obvious to the teachers what I was doing. I was still getting good grades, but I would listen to the local talk radio stations. I mean, I was obsessed with talk radio. It was radio to me, and radio was live. Podcasts, to me, are live. Like, that's a thing that you're doing. And what you hear on the shows, at least the shows that I do, with very, very few exceptions, we're not editing them. Now, I'm not saying you should do this, and I'm, I don't mean to sound like I'm saying this is the correct way to do it. Again, look at, look at what most of the big shows that are out there, uh, whether, it's, uh, whether it's Radiolab or Serial, you name it. These are highly edited, highly produced shows. And uh, arguably, you could say, look, they do better than the shows that I do. But uh, I, I just, I love the fact that to me, podcasts, are time-shifted radio. They're radio programs that you listen to when you want to. That's what a podcast is to me most of the time. Those highly edited, produced shows are a different thing. They're also podcasts. For sure, they're podcasts. Maybe they're what a true podcast is, uh, and I've got a weird point of view. But the value that I find in treating it like time-shifted radio is you've got to be spot on and on point the whole time. Uh, this show, for example, I've had one edit point in, in, in this re- recording that I've been making for you so far. It's when I started coughing horrifically and needed to drink some of this uh, tea that I've got right here in order to sort of recover. Well, that doesn't belong in the show. I don't think anybody would think that that adds some kind of depth of realism to the show and makes it amazing. I don't think so at all. Uh, but, um, it, 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 you know, so yes, I, that that you will never hear that part because it was just terrible. Well, yeah, I mean, if I'd been doing that on radio, everyone listening live would have heard it if I hadn't stepped on the cough button and had my co-host fill in uh, talking for a little while. But uh, that's you know, that's the kind of thing I will edit out. The rest of this has just been me talking. And uh, and I have some notes. I have some topics that I want to cover. Uh, but I think about this stuff a whole lot so that when I'm here recording it for you, hopefully it, uh, it, it's not all over the place. Hopefully I'm, uh, I'm making, uh, points that are useful and answering questions that are helpful, but I love the spontaneity. Uh, and that's why I always loved going to see plays and seeing performances as opposed to, um, Seeing movies, which I also love, but things that are heavily, heavily rehearsed. And I always have a great admiration for directors and actors who are able to, uh, to rehearse something, but then perform it and, and do the ad-libbing and come up with things. Some of the best scenes in movies, I feel like, are, are, are to some degree ad-libbed. The famous scene with Joe Pesci in, uh, in Goodfellas, where he's sitting at the table, uh, his character talking to, uh, to Ray Liotta Henry, uh, it, huge amounts of ad-lib in that. And that's one of the most memorable scenes. If you take great directors and great actors and you just sort of throw them in there, amazing things will happen. We can't always be that lucky uh, with, uh, with podcasts, of course, but that's the kind of spontaneity that I'm, I'm always hopeful to, to try to capture and, uh, and, and to keep in something that's, that's as natural as possible. Time-shifted radio. So uh, I listen to a lot of radio. Speaking of radio, I listen to a lot of radio while I was sick. And, uh, and you know, I listen every morning to the AM station here, uh, the sports AM station, because I love sports. And I, I, won't, I won't name any names, but there's a couple guys that do a sports show in the morning, and they do ad reads. You know, they do ad reads just like we do ad reads. They're, they're not always that good. And it shocks me because these are guys who can talk and completely pull me into their conversation about, uh, the, uh, what they're talking about. And they do these amazing interviews with uh, th- some really, really influential people in the world of sports. And I just love these guys and I love their personalities. And then the minute that they start doing an ad read, it sounds like they are reading from a script. Oh, haha, You need to go check out this product. It's so bad. It's so bad. And I don't know why, and I was talking to uh, to my uh, producer, uh, sales director, Hattie, here, and she was saying, you know, she's like, these people are like, they're paying your salary. You know, like you, you have to do a good job. She's like, talk about it the way that uh that that you you would talk to a kid if uh if a kid told you about something and you would you're not going to say to your kid, "Yeah, great, I know the earth is round, get lost." You're going to be like, "It's ra- I thought it was around. Tell me more about that." You get excited, you know? Well, how can you not get excited about the copy that you're going to read? These sponsors that you have or that you want to have are giving you money to talk about their thing. So you've got to get into it. You've got to read about it. You've got to get excited about it. My goal, whenever I do a sponsor read, is to get, you, to, first of all, to get myself excited about it, but to get you excited about it. Otherwise, I've completely failed. There, there is no grades. There are no levels of success at sponsorship. Either you, you knock it out of the park or you completely fail. And sponsors will listen. They do listen. They should listen. They're spending their money. They want to make sure they got what they bought. So let me do a sponsor for you right now. And I'm incredibly lucky, incredibly lucky to have Harry's as a sponsor. I'll tell you why. Because I use their product and I love their product. And no amount of money from Harry's would make me say that if it wasn't true. Let me say that again. I would never say that I love a product and use it unless that was true. No amount of money. I would just do a read and I would read what they told me to do and I would get excited and enthusiastic about it. But there's a difference when you actually use the product. Now, I definitely have had sponsors and Harry's one of them where before they were a sponsor, I had never tried their thing out. Harry's was brand new when they started sponsoring our stuff. And they came to us and they're like, Hey, we've got this thing. Let's try it. I said, okay, cool. I need to try this to use it. I tried it. I used it. I loved it. I've gotten these things for people as gifts. These are great. So let me tell you what this is. Harry's, simple. They make razors. It's that simple, right? But they don't just make any razors. They make the best razors. You can go, and this is why they started their company. You go to the grocery store and you find these, these razors on the shelf and uh, they're super expensive. And you say to yourself, man, why are these things so expensive? It's just like little pieces of metal, right? Well, we've been overpaying for drugstore razor blades. Okay, like, like it's become a habit. You go there and you, you just buy these things. They're crazy expensive and they're not the best. Well, Harry's found this company in Germany, this factory that was making these German engineered blades crafted for sharpness, super precise. And they started working with them and they, they found these things were so awesome. So they bought the factory. They bought the company that, that, uh, that makes these. And now they, you cut out the middleman. There is no drugstore. Harry sells this stuff direct. So they, they save us tons and tons of money. So how do they do it? What is so great about it? These guys in Germany, the guys at this factory figured out how to make these awesome blades. Harry's put them together in this beautiful little package. In this beautiful little box that you get, they make a really awesome shaving gel and a shaving cream, if you're old school. And they send you these they have these the handles or like weighted handles. It feel like something I mean like we don't use the word retro anymore but these are like retro blades they're really cool. You can get them engraved. I got one uh, engraved, but their starter kit is just 15 bucks. You can get three blades and your choice of the, the shave cream or the foaming gel. And you will get 5 bucks off if you use the code podcast method all one word. 5 bucks off off that $15 shaving kit. So you got to do that. Just again I think you're going to save like, this is like half the price of what you're going to pay in the grocery store. So cool. Harry's.com. Podcast method is the code. Going there, getting one of these kits for yourself, for your, uh, for your loved ones. Listen, it's kind of geared toward men, but women love them too. Seriously. Your wife will steal yours. So get, get her one. Harry's.com. Podcast method is the code. Go check them out. That's the thing. Hopefully, When I tell you about Harry's, when I tell you about our sponsors, hopefully you you get into it, you get excited about the product because that's my job, right? That's not the part of my job I don't like. No. Well, I don't really like doing the sponsors. I don't want to do it, but you know, I got to make some money. No, that is equal. Sponsorships are equal. And so listen, I've talked about this in other shows and other episodes of the show. I want you to go out there and you're saying, you know what, we've only got 300 downloads an episode. First of all, that's 300 human beings who want to listen, so don't knock that. That's awesome. Second thing is, that may not be enough to get you a sponsor. Okay. Do the affiliate thing. I'm telling you, believe me, go out there and pick your favorite company and go to their website and see if they have an affiliate program. The URL may be ugly, it may be like a question mark, affiliate ID equals, and then a string of numbers and characters. That's fine. Direct people to your website. Do the ad yourself. You can't, and I don't know about the legalities of this, but I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't say, oh, this show is, let's take, let's pretend Harry's has an affiliate program and you just want to use it. I wouldn't say, oh, this show is sponsored by Harry's. You can't say that because they're not really sponsoring your show. That's misleading. What you can say is, you can say, You want to support the show. Here's how you can do it. Go to harrys.com and use this link on this page of my website for this podcast. Go there and click that link and, uh, and I'll get affiliate credit if you buy from Harry's. Harry's is great. They're my favorite razors. Here's what they do. Do that. Insert those affiliate programs into your show as a way for people to support. And you know what? You do a good enough job, you might make some money. Might be 10 bucks, might be 100 bucks, might be 1000 bucks. You can also, anytime that you talk about a product or something like that, let's say you're talking, well, on this show, we talk about gear, right? If you were talking about a microphone that you like, put a link to it on Amazon with your affiliate code on it. And you can tell people, like, support my show, go and use my affiliate links, so I'll get a little kickback. You can make some real money. I know people who run some big websites, big. Millions and millions of uh, of of download of uh, you know visitors per month but those people they do affiliate links they can make thirty percent sometimes fifty percent of their money from those affiliate links so just keep that in mind don't be discouraged if your show's too small for a sponsor there are tons of other ways to do it and of course there's patreon people have been asking me what's patreon how do I support you on patreon what is patreon how do you spell it i'll put that into the show notes too it is p a t r e o n patreon uh they are a great service that uh allows people like you to donate a dollar five dollars a thousand dollars whatever you want uh to 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 help support these shows, to help support the stuff that, that uh, we are doing here at five by five, that let us do shows that, uh, that are different and maybe not heavily sponsored or commercially successful, but can just be be great shows. So thanks to everybody who is supporting this show on Patreon. Again, that's patreon.com slash five by five P A T R E O N patreon.com slash five by five. So uh, go there and, uh, and support, give us a buck. It makes a big difference. All right, let's, jump in and do some of these great Twitter questions that have come in. John Thomas, who is Dow underscore of underscore John on Twitter, says, how do you stop saying, um, uh, you know, and etc. when you're doing it by yourself? Any tricks for smoothing out the gaps? So I think what John is asking is when I'm in here doing this show or shows like it, how do I not say, um, uh, mm, you know, well, the answer is simple. Listen to yourself. And I don't mean while you're doing the show. I mean afterwards. Listen back to what you just recorded. I don't necessarily recommend editing all of those out, especially you know where it leads to sounding choppy or weird. But go back and listen to the shows that you have recorded. Listen to yourself. And I guarantee you that habit of saying um uh and and filling time that way will start to really irritate you. Uh you'll listen to yourself doing it and you'll say, "Oh man, that just does not sound good." You will remember not to do those things. A couple of them are totally fine. You say, "Uh I don't know, you know, totally fine, totally a normal part of uh of having a conversation the way that a you a normal human speaks. But what I think we're doing is we're trying not to have any pauses. We're trying to fill every single moment with sound, with the sound of our voice. But you don't have to do that. You can take a pause. You can take a breath. You can hold for a moment to create a dramatic pause. And that actually will get your listeners' attention. Think ahead. And that's the other thing. The more you do it, the more you record, the more shows you make, the more natural and the more easy it will be for you so that you can be thinking about what you're about to say before you say it and that will eliminate those kinds of pauses and that feeling that you need to fill uh fill up the time if you've ever heard a rapper freestyle oh my gosh how do how do they do that well it's a lot of practice it's a lot of coming up with rhymes and thinking ahead and thinking about what they want to say uh that that makes that possible. Such a challenging thing for a person uh, like me. I can't rhyme at all, uh, let alone sound cool in front of a microphone. But I can think a little bit ahead of what I'm about to say because I've practiced so much and done it so much. So John, that's really your goal. Listen back to yourself and hear those habits, those uh, ticks, if you will, that you've picked up and think about why you're doing them. And then give yourself the opportunity to learn from that and to take a natural pause instead of having to fill it. And I'll tell you what, if your pause is too long, it's much easier to edit out a pause than it is to edit out an um or an ah or something like that. Ben Shearman, SubDigital on Twitter, says, Quick one, how do you organize your gear in wires? Do you have any recommendations for desk-friendly racks? Gosh, I hate wires. I think I hate wires more than Steve Jobs hated wires, if that's possible. My whole life, it seems, is about cables and wires and coiling and wrapping and bundling. It is a nightmare. And it seems like my life has always been about this, going back to some of my first jobs when I was in IT, just running cables and Ethernet. and My whole life is about cables. My whole life is about wires. It's all about wires. And the answer is there really isn't an easy way to manage all this. When you talk about having, you know, three, four microphones, you've got at least that many headphones. You've got a mixer. The mixer's connected to a computer. There are wires going back. Oh, you've got two, three Skype guests on different machines too, doing mix minus. Oh, you've got a lot of cables, lots of wires, and it is horrible. Uh... You know what? There is no easy answer to this, except one word, Velcro. Um, I am putting into the show notes the, the Velcro that I like to use. They're these little Velcro uh, strips that you can get, you can cut them and you can wrap up the cables and that, that's it. There are tons of really great solutions, but I find that every time I find a really good solution that I get set up and then I feel works for me really well and I get it set up and everything is really cool. Uh, the next day I have to change it and then I have to undo all of that stuff that I did. So I kind of try to set things up so that they're as neat and tidy as they can be, but that I don't invest a million years fixing them up just so because inevitably I'll have to change it. Oh, we got an extra guest in the studio today, or oh man, this uh, Skype machine died, the hard drive crashed. What am I going to do? I like to be able to get in there and rip things apart and, uh, and put them back together as quickly as possible. There's one thing though, interference, ground loops, Things like that. What am I talking about? If you're sitting there and you're listening and you hear a buzz, you're like, "What is that buzz?" I'm not talking about a hiss. Hisses can come from a lot of things, including uh, over compression, bad gain structure, uh, those kinds of things. Forget, forget a hiss for now. I'm talking about a buzz especially a buzz that almost has a cycling sound to it, you may be dealing with something called a ground loop. You may be dealing with interference from video cables. You may be dealing with, uh, with interference from power cables. How do you get around this? The answer is power conditioning. They sell power strips that unfortunately are expensive. They're about 100 bucks. Furman is the best one. I'll put a, a link to that in the show notes. Again, show notes are at 5by5.tv five five slash podcast method slash seven. You get one of these things and then you plug everything into that power strip. And what it does is it helps eliminate any kind of buzzing or interference uh, strange power sounds, cycling of power that, that that leads to these strange sounds. So if you have like a buzzing or something weird or you want to prevent that and you're like, I don't know where this hum is coming from, chances are it's your it's your power cables that go to your computers or to your other devices are interfering with that audio signal. Because most of the audio cables that we use are not really shielded in a way. You know, you can have an HDMI cable laying right on top of a power cable. That's fine because that's all digital. But we deal with analog stuff in this sound. These microphone cables are, are analog cables. So uh, you've got to be careful with, uh, with that. So you get one of these Furman power strips and you plug everything into it, your computer, your screen, your preamps, all of that stuff. And, uh, and that, that will save you uh, a million years of headaches. Just uh, give it a shot. I know it's not cheap, but if you're running into those kinds of problems, you got old wiring in your house or your apartment, these are things that you can uh, definitely look into and, uh, and, and it will help you. Eric Hegwer, hope I'm getting that right, Eric, would love to hear more about pre-recording intros and outros. Eric, you're talking about when a, uh, a host of a show pre-records the intro, the outro. That is to say, hey, you're listening to The Podcast Method. This is episode number seven. It's Friday the 13th, et cetera. Pre-recording that as opposed to doing that in line. Doing the recording of an interview show or of a podcast with your friends, getting that raw material, and then later on, recording the intro. There are some big advantages to pre-recording intros uh, and outros. And I'll, I'll tell you where I learned about this in the podcast space was from Leo Laporte, who every time at the end of record, and I used to watch a lot of Twitch stuff live uh, a number of years ago, and uh I remember that I would watch Leo record his show, whether it was, you know, uh this week in tech or Mac Break Weekly, and afterwards he would be still sitting there at the desk and he you know be making some notes or reading something and he'd be like, All right. And then he would do the intro. And he would do the intro in such a way that it, it contained references. To uh, things that, and he would also use the name of the show, and then typically the name or title of the show would come out of the context of the show itself. So he would uh, he would say the title of the show, and then he would say what was coming up, what was about to happen in the show. Well, how could he possibly know what the title of the show was going to be, or what the topics were going to be, so perfectly unless it was recorded later? So I realized the value of doing that, especially with the show, and of course Leo does. What, what I would call time-shifted radio-type shows where they edit as little as possible. Uh, he's, doing, he's doing radio, essentially, and recording it so you can listen to it later. He's doing radio shows, much like we do. And, uh, and so that, there's a tremendous value because now you have the benefit of having just recorded this thing. You know what the title is. You know what topics you hit. And that's a really neat way to get people interested to tell them what's coming up in this show that they're about to hear. I think that's just fine. Uh, As long as your audio is going to sound as much like the audio from the show uh, that you just recorded as possible. Now, see, today, I don't know if you notice it, but uh, you can hear a difference. I can hear a difference in my voice now than when I started the show about, you know, 35, 40 minutes ago. I sound very, very different to myself than uh than than I did at the beginning of the show why because i'm I'm not a hundred percent right like I feel better, but my I'm still congested, my voice is still, I'm still coughing and stuff I've had to drop a handful of markers that I will be editing out of me just coughing, so what do you do uh my voice now is not going to sound the same if I hadn't recorded the intro to this show at the start of the show, you would have this sort of uh, horse sounding dude that doesn't sound anything like the, the guy who started talking at the top of the show. So for that reason, uh post recording them, that's the risk that you're going to run. On a good day, my voices sound exactly the same and I practice this enough that so I know how to do it. You can do the same thing and get good at it and practice it so that you can do that kind of pre-recording, post-recording. But I am just such a fan of uh, of trying to do it live anyway do it live do it at the start of the show record the intro and uh your guests won't mind that you record the intro and then start off with the show and if for some reason if it didn't go as well as you thought it should have gone and you want to re-record it then re-record it i just don't like it when the audio is noticeably different between the intro and the rest of the show that just that just bugs me on a deep personal level. So uh, that would be my advice, Eric, to, uh, to watch out for that. A lot of people have been talking about things like silence and stripping silence and dealing with hiss. These are topics I've just seen popping up a lot recently, and I was talking to some people on Twitter about it the other night. Uh, it's something that I think people really do notice as listeners, the hiss or, uh, or some kind of noise in a background. Noise gate is something that you can use to gate or you know, eliminate that noise. And basically with a noise gate, what you're saying is, take away any audio that falls beneath a certain threshold. That is, if it's not loud enough as the spoken word, if it's a little bit more quiet than that, take it away. So that when a person is not talking like that, there will be silence. Uh, But when they talk, whatever background noise might be uh, there will still appear. So this is something that uh, can be a little bit frustrating because if somebody has the MacBook Pro sitting in front of them and the fans are spinning up because they've got a flash page open or they're recording and streaming and running Skype all at the same time, well, yeah, a noise gate will eliminate that when they stop talking, but when they start talking, you'll hear this fan in the background and it sounds weird. How do you eliminate those? Well, there are tons of plugins uh, for, for things like that, and I've asked a good friend of mine to uh, come on the show. So for next week's show, I, I believe, uh, he will be there to talk about eliminating these kinds of sounds. He'll also be talking with me about EQ and uh, and other kinds of things that you can do either while you're recording or in post we don't typically here run into a lot of that hiss uh we 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 would rather have people turn their gain down a little bit and boost their level in post that is to say make them louder in post rather than have them giving us an overdriven uh uh signal that has too much uh gain bad gain structure overly compressed My goal when using compression, and we talked about compression a number of episodes ago, again, is just to do the absolute minimum compression I need to keep people from getting too quiet or uh, to people from getting too loud and just kind of smooth things out. So uh, I, I just wanted to address that a little bit, stripping silence out Uh, is it makes it easier to move those individual pieces that are actually people speaking around uh, more creatively. Again, not something we do a lot because the goal is to have essentially the the live radio experience. But uh, if you are doing a lot of that uh, uh, post-production work, having a strip silence feature in your uh, editing software and using that to remove those Blocks of silence, so that you just see the words there. I'm sorry, just see the people's spoken words there. It makes it much easier to do that kind of deep editing. Few more questions, Dan Shaw. Best method? Oh, he's C Planet, S E E Planet on Twitter. Best method for sound dampening, sound panel layout without breaking the bank. Great question, Dan. Sound panels are more expensive than you think. I didn't say, then they should be. Then you think they should be. Uh, they, I'm going to put a, a link to a number of sound panels, uh, people always asking me about sound panels. We have uh, a lot of sound panels here, and we've invested a lot of money in the sound panels here, and they make a big difference. You At least uh, on, a, on a one or two-mic show, you should not hear very much what's called, unfortunately, audio leakage. You won't hear my voice on the guest's track, or their voice on my track because the sound panels are going to eat that sound up and make it so that they're not bouncing back and winding up in other people's tracks. Sound panels incredibly useful when you have multiple people, incredibly useful when it's you and you're sitting but think about this. If you're sitting in front of your computer when you record as most of us are, you're what? I don't know, 12 to 24 inches away from your screen and then you've got the microphone in front of your face, right? Well, your words, what you're saying is going to bounce right off of that pane of glass that happens to be your screen and come back up and get picked up by your microphone as a tiny little bit of reverb, maybe, uh, or worse, it'll sound like there's a little delay on your voice. This sounds terrible. Getting further away from your screen or speaking at a different angle as your screen, so you're looking at the screen to the side or out of the corner of your eye, will make, could potentially make a huge, huge difference in, uh, in getting better sound. But you don't need to spend a lot of money on acoustic paneling or audio panels uh, in order to get really good sound. I've talked about this a little bit before, but start with something as simple as a comforter or a big blanket, and hang that thing up, hang it up over the most reflective surfaces that you have, whether those are the windows or big spaces of walls. The more things that you have in your studio, in that room that you're recording in, the better. you have an old sofa? Put it in the room. you have bare wood floors? Put a carpet down, you know, a rug. It'll really tie the room together and it will really help eliminate a lot of that sound that's bouncing and bouncing and bouncing. You can get pretty much any, you don't need to spend a lot of money on sound panels. Yeah, the cool ones look cool, but you don't need the cool looking ones to eliminate that sound. You can go to your craft store like a Michaels or something like that. And in there, they'll sell these huge uh, egg crate, foam egg crate materials. These things are hideous. You would not want to look at these things, but I'll tell you what, you're going to record a show for two hours a week, put this thing in your closet and go and get it out and unroll it and unroll it and lean it against the wall. It doesn't have to be directly in front of you. It does not. It just being in the room, it will start to absorb that sound and uh, and eliminate it. I'm happy to try to listen to audio if you want and see if I can give you any advice about it. Again, the best way to ask me for help like that is on Twitter. I'm at Dan Benjamin on Twitter. So hit me up with that and uh, and give me a link to listen to and I'll do my best to just check it out and see. The thing is, your audio probably sounds better than you think it does. Uh, But yeah, you know, I'm definitely of the philosophy of uh, make it sound as good as possible. And uh, those cheap egg crates are at least a starting point. Phil Willis on Twitter asks, what does Archer Avenue look for in a potential podcast fit for advertisers? Uh, So um, 5 by 5 is our podcast company. Archer Avenue is the ad agency that we represent uh, all of our podcasts and a handful of other shows and and podcast networks out there. Uh, And we, we help sell for them. So companies will come to us. And uh, say, hey, we want to advertise on some shows and we'll we'll hook them up with the shows. That's that's what we do. And we also do some media buying for other companies who some someone in the company said, we need to be advertising on podcasts. Well, they don't want to have a team of people uh, running a podcast advertising group. So they come to us and they say, put us on some shows. So we could do the ad buys for them too. So that's kind of what Archer Avenue is. So that's what Phil, I think, is asking about is what do we look for in a potential podcast fit for advertisers? What I'm not sure, Phil, so I'm going to try and answer both versions of the question. Um, one version of the question is what are you looking for in a podcast to make it a good fit for advertisers? The second uh, question is um, what are you looking for in, a, in an advertiser for podcasts? Both great questions. I don't know which one you want, so I'll, I'll answer both because I think they're both Pretty cool questions. Uh, the first question uh, What do I look for in a podcast? You know what? Podcasts, we have uh, sports. I'll give you an example sports. I love sports. I always wanted to have a sports show on Five by Five. We've had two sports shows on Five by Five. Have you heard of them? No, you haven't heard of them. Is it because we didn't put Everything we had into making them amazing and get amazing hosts who are well known in the sports world, and we did all of that, and we promoted them, and we had really cool artwork, but they never even got close to competing with the podcasts that were made by people like Dan Patrick, Rich Eisen, the you know ESPN as a whole, Sports Illustrated as a whole. We didn't even chart. We didn't even show up anywhere on that. You look at the 5x5 shows, they do very, very well in iTunes, in in technology, in tech news, in gadgets, in pretty much everything in in that technology space. Why couldn't we do that in sports with people who are amazing? Will Carroll. Will Carroll did the nickel on 5x5. It was a great show. I listened to the show uh, religiously. Loved the show. Looked forward to it every week. Couldn't couldn't get the show to perform and couldn't get sponsors interested in it. That sucks because I really wanted to have a a great sports show and we did, just no one listened to it. So, you know, what we look for in podcasts are things that we know will work, the kinds of shows that we know will work. And you can figure that out in large part by looking at what's popular in your favorite podcast app. In your favorite, uh, in your favorite podcast apps guide or directory, that's one way to, to to figure it out. Another is, yeah, look at iTunes and see what kind of shows are appearing in New and Noteworthy. What are the top podcasts? I'm not saying we we won't uh, try to to work with a show that's not fitting into one of those categories, or that we won't make one. We sure will. And that's again why, like, our Patreon supporters are so important. Because even though this show, Podcast Method, uh, is like doing really great in the podcast category and it keeps showing up in, in technology, like, that's awesome. I, I, I'm glad that it's doing that. But it's like the Patreon supporters that are really the ones who are responsible for us even being able to do this show. Because I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to sponsors, but they're not really sure what to make of it. And if I look at it from that sponsorship standpoint, do I get the show? Do I get why people would listen to the show? Or does it just sound like a cool show? Is it just a cool idea? Gaming shows, shows about games. We have a couple on Five by Five, but DLC is a good example of that. Really tough to get sponsored. And you'd think that's nuts right? Because like Jeff Kannada, he's huge in the gaming space. He's super professional. He's funny. He's smart. S- Christian Spicer does a show with them, Equally funny, equally smart, huge number of followers. The show does great, really great downloads. Tough to get it sponsored. Because you need a certain kind of sponsor who's going to be, and this brings me to the second part of the question, certain kind of sponsor who's going to be interested in that kind of audience. So how we work with advertisers is we need to really know the, the show's audience. You have to know who your audience is. Things like surveys can, can go to a certain uh, degree to answer that question. But the problem with surveys are the only people who are going to do surveys are your super fans. They're, they're not really an accurate representation of your core audience. If your show gets 10,000 downloads and you get 100 people taking your survey, those are your 100 superfans. Those are not necessarily a good representation of the other 9,900 listeners of your show. So it's tough to know, but I think you can get a feel for who your audience is or who the show's audience is, and, uh, and then sponsors have to fit with that. You know, Harry's, I think, gets uh, podcast advertising uh, in general, and they see that this show is about podcasting, and it's doing pretty well, so they'll give it a shot. Uh, And I think that the audience is right. Like, if you're listening to this show, you're probably interested in making a podcast at some point. You're probably geeky enough to want to get into the nitty-gritty of making a podcast, Uh, and maybe you're interested in the business of podcasting. You, You fit into one of those categories. Chances are you probably need to shave with a razor, and chances are you like ordering stuff on the Internet. The good fit for Harry's, right? So we would try him with that. And that that's kind of, if, if it makes sense. You know, I remember years and years ago, I was reading an article on Motley Fool. Uh, and uh, and the article was talking about in, investment advice. And they said, here's some investment advice. Invest in companies that you like that you use yourself. Seems to make sense, right? You, I have an Apple computer here. Maybe they'd be a good investment. You know, that kind of thing. Uh Know your show, know your audience, and know the kind of sponsors that would want to invest in that thing. Is this something that their target audience would also be interested in? So that's, that's what we do when we're pitching stuff to, to sponsors. Phil, I hope that answered your question. Uh, I'm not sure if it did or not. We'll do a couple more here, and then we'll wrap it up for this week, because my voice is starting to go away. I hope I'm saying your name right. Callum Goss? I.B. Callum on Twitter, when talking to sponsors, what is a reasonable rate per thousand downloads? Callum also asks, what is the best way to approach sponsors? What should you put in your initial email? Send stats or wait for them to ask? Great questions, Callum. Hope I'm saying that right. The best way to approach sponsors, keep in mind that if the, if the company is doing well enough to have a marketing budget uh, they and, and, and doing well enough to not only have a marketing budget, but to have a podcast marketing budget, which all companies should have. Podcasts are the best way, the single most uh, successful way that, that you can advertise. I'm absolutely 100% sure of that. And we've heard it time and time again from our sponsors that, uh, and I've just, I've got to talk about this. Podcasts are way, way, way more effective than web ads, than newsletter ads, than any other kind of advertisement. We hear it time and time again from our sponsors. Podcasts work better. Why do they work better? Think about it. Right now, you hear my voice in your ears. There is nothing, and we'll use, uh, we'll use Apple's word, nothing more intimate than the human voice in your ears. Chances are right now, where are you? You're driving in your car. You're walking your dog. You're at the gym. You're shopping in the grocery store. You're on a jog. Maybe you're in bed. Good night. Good morning. You're hearing my voice in your brain. I'm in your brain. (laughs) Right? But think about it. That is a very intimate connection that you have with the human voice. We hear the human voice in the womb. From day one, you're hearing your mom's voice until you're born, and then you're still hearing it before your vision even works. You're hearing your parents' voices, your friends' voices, your family's voices. You hear someone on the phone. Phone calls are way more personal than emails. Everyone knows it. Well, podcasts are way, way more personal than a banner ad on a web page. Podcast advertising works. So, Callum asks, what's the best way to approach sponsors? What should you put in your initial email? this is what I would do and this is what I do do. I send an email to the sponsor and I say, hey sponsor, I think you guys should sponsor this show that we do. Here's what it's about. Here's how many downloads it gets. Individual unique downloads per week. They want to know people. Your sponsors don't care how many subscribers you have. They just don't. They don't care. They want to know how many unique individual downloads you get Per week, per week, then you can tell them per month too. They don't want to know the cumulative number of all of the downloads for your show as a whole. They want to know per episode because they're only buying per episode. Uh, so don't say, "Oh, we get a you know eight hundred thousand downloads per month of our shows." No, they don't care. They want to know when episode seven comes out. How many downloads will episode seven get? in the first week, and then in the month. I think it's fine. Tell them them in the month. Tell them how many it'll get that month. And that's it. That's what you tell them. Here's why you should sponsor it. Our audience is exactly who wants to buy your product or service. And here's why. Our audience is males age 18 to 27 who live in Kansas and make 30 grand a year, whatever. Whatever. Tell them as much as you know, if you can substantiate that with real facts, uh, tell, them, tell them as much as you can about your show, as much as you believe your audi- uh, you know about your audience. Share all this information with them from the get-go. That gives them the ability to then say, oh, you know what? Yeah, this show, this description, this host, yeah, I'll sponsor that. Or yeah, I'll take that to my boss and see if I can get it sponsored. That's what you've got to do. What's a reasonable rate per thousand? This is what's called CPM, cost per thousand, M the Roman numeral, 4,000. Cost per thousand varies. It varies depending on the size of the sponsor. Uh, it varies depending on the prestige of the show. So, for example, if there's a show who has someone very well-known with a big following, a great website, they are do public speaking, they're a big deal on Twitter, whatever— that person's show will get a much higher CPM than the person who might be just as good but not have the big-time Twitter following and not have the, the huge uh, website and that kind of thing. So you need to take that into consideration. Uh, but, but the rates are huge. Everything from a 15 CPM to a 50 CPM. And it really, really varies. I will tell you, that the bigger sponsors who do a lot of podcast advertising will be closer to the lower end of that spectrum than they will to the higher end of that spectrum. But again, it depends on the show. Uh, It's perfectly okay to say, you know what, we've got a very special show. We really want to target these certain kind of sponsors. And you know what? We're We're a 40 CPM. If you can turn that around for the sponsor, if you can get the sponsor a return on their investment, and, and hit their cost per acquisition, in other words, how much they're willing to spend to get a new sign-up, if you can do that for them, they will come back every time and give you more money to do more sponsorships because it works. They want it to work. So they will care much less about the CPM if they're getting what they want for their their uh, their target acquisition rate. That's what's key. They don't care about the CPM if you're performing, if your show performs, so uh, keep that in mind too. I know that's kind of a slightly ambiguous answer, uh, but that's that's what you do. Last question: Under the microscope at UTM Podcast on Twitter asks, do you should you use some kind of ID3 editor for each episode you release? Well, what first? Let me explain what an ID3 tag is. An ID3 tag is essentially, it's, technically speaking, a metadata container. But basically, this is uh, the the thing that uh, you find in an MP3 audio file that has the information in it, like the title, the artist, the album, the track number, other information that uh, needs to be stored about the file. So ID3 is, I, I guess it's a standard, but... There isn't like a standardization body that dictates what should be in an ID3 tag, but there are sort of standards as far as what to use. I I went ahead and put the Wikipedia entry about ID3 tags into uh, the show notes, but the typical things that you're going to see are are the ones I mentioned, title, artist, album, year, comment, uh, genre perhaps, and then there are extended uh, tags that that give you additional things. There is a definitive list of, uh, of genres, whether it's, you know, punk rock or uh, polka, <laughs> spoken word, of course. All of these are things that you sort of bundle into your MP3 before you ship it out into the world. Another thing that, uh, that also a lot of people do and should do is put the cover art into their MP3 file. So how do you do this, especially if you're editing the file uh, yourself and, and you don't have a CMS to do this kind of work for you when you upload something. Well, you can do it in iTunes. That's one place to do it. You just go into iTunes and hit Command I and then you can type this information in. So you would actually take your podcast and, uh, drag it into iTunes. Be, be aware that iTunes will do some conversion. So make sure that, uh, it's set to not convert it to a different kind of file. Uh, you know, like an AAC file or whatever. And then you can type the information there. There's a handful of uh, ID3 tag editors uh, out there uh, for Mac and PC that you can edit yourself. Again, those will be in the show notes too. Uh, If you're lucky enough to have written your own CMS, it can do that for you. That's very handy. Ours does that. And if you're building one, uh, consider adding that kind of feature. Uh, and, uh, and finally, I believe nowadays GarageBand and, uh, and uh, Logic will do that for you when you export the file. But it's very important to set those because if that file ever gets handed around from machine to machine, from player to player, uh, downloaded from a different place, that information will stay with it and it will keep your information and the information about the show with it. So just keep those things in mind. Uh, definitely uh, edit your ID3 tags uh, keep them uh keep them relevant to the show and put your own information in. Put your own copyright information there. put the website in the notes. You want all of those things to be there so that that file becomes as much of a standalone piece of information uh as as possible so uh under the microscope yes you should you should do that. I think it's uh, very it shows care and quality and so yes do those do those things so that's it for this episode I'm sure that next week I will uh, sound a whole lot better we're actually launching a brand new show next week that's going to require me to sound much much better so uh, I stay tuned for that if you're interested in in, as we talk about radio and time shifted radio this will be right up your alley and uh, it will answer a lot of questions as to what has Dan been doing uh, the last couple months working on uh, it will answer that question more. So, follow me on Twitter to find out about that. I'm at Dan Benjamin. That's also the place to go to ask me all the questions for this show. You just hashtag them podcast method and I will see them and do my best to get to them on the show. So, thank you so much for listening. Again, at Dan Benjamin on Twitter. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash five by five. Uh, Thank you to everyone who supports this show. You're the ones that are making it possible. And uh, that's it. Have a great weekend.